You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and on today's show, it is Preview Day, Dolphins and Vikings, and our first cross-conference game of the season. We'll take a look at the matchups in the game, the key stats, the film, a heck of a lot more, tell you what's at stake, and tell you the three keys to victory for your Miami Dolphins. From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. It is our first intra interconference game. That verbiage always confuses me. It's the first matchup for the Dolphins against an NFC team this season, and that of course means we have not seen them in four years. Haven't seen them down here in eight years. That 2018 trip to Minnesota, I'm sure, is one that all of us would like to forget coming off the Miami Miracle game and that blowout in Minneapolis. The 2014 game was pretty fun, though. The walk-off safety of Terrence Fade was pretty cool, although the events that transpired after that, not so cool. But for Minnesota, a lot has changed since then. Same quarterback, but a new head coach who has a connection to that tree that Kirk Cousins saw his career originate with back in D.C. Of course, I'm talking about Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell working under him with the Rams and bringing similar concepts and philosophies to the Minnesota Vikings. We'll get into what that means on the football field in the preview section, and it's a pretty stark contract offensively, but even more so defensively. Mike Zimmer is a great football coach from, you know, for a long time he was at least, but as this league has a way of doing sometimes is situations will fizzle and change is needed, and it was Minnesota's secondary that for the longest time just struggled to get production out of so many newcomers But it wasn't for a lack of trying as we look at how this team was built to where they currently are. It was a real concerted effort to build that portion of the roster over the last several years. And that began in 2018 with first round pick Mike Hughes, though it does go back further to Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes. But for the more relevant timeline, Hughes in 2018, the late Jeff Gladney in 2020, rest in peace, Cam Dantzler also in 2020. He's currently with the club. And then their first two picks this year were also in the defensive backfield. Lewis Seen from Georgia and Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. They've also added Patrick Peterson as a veteran to the mix and longtime star safety Harrison Smith is still playing at a high level for them. The other areas of focus have been the offensive line. Ed Ingram, a second round pick this year. Christian Derisaw, a first round pick last year. Ezra Cleveland in the second round back in 2020. And Garrett Bradbury, their center, was a first-round pick in 2019, the same year they drafted Irv Smith to give them what was then the deadliest 12 personnel package in the NFL with Smith and Kyle Rudolph. So secondary and offensive line to complement their stars at receiver and running back with Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook and a team that went to the NFC title game 
back in 2017 that made the big move for the quarterback a year after they played three different guys at the quarterback position. Sam Bradford was the original starter on that team. Teddy Bridgewater got some action late in that season after that really rough injury he had to come back from there at the Vikings. And then Case Keenum ultimately was the player on the field when they went to that NFC title game. None of them returned for 2018 as Kirk Cousins gets the big deal. That was at three years, 90 million fully guaranteed. And they've just been on the cusp of getting over that hump really since his signing. And currently four and one atop the NFC North. It's beginning to feel like maybe, maybe this is the year that it happens for them. They've built a super strong roster under Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, picking up where Rick Spielman left off. And Kevin O'Connell looks like the real deal. And a defensive switch going from Zimmerman to new defensive coordinator and Donatel, who has been in the NFL since 1990 and most recently running that patented cover two with the Broncos under Vic Fangio as their DC there up in Denver. So that's the Vikings, a division leader coming to town for a one o'clock kickoff. I was pretty intrigued by the weather this week in Minnesota. As we know, it's never easy to come down here and play in this temperature. Dolphins are winners of their last eight at home and 15 of the last 21 here at Hard Rock Stadium. And I saw that on Tuesday, it was up to 81 degrees in Minneapolis. Then Wednesday, it dropped down to like 50. Crazy weather out there in the Midwest. It's supposed to be a nice cool day here on Sunday. I think mid 70s up to the low 80s. So Maybe less of a factor this time around, but for the fans, a little more cozy in the stands. Let's go ahead and pick this up with the Dolphins offense versus the Vikings defense and the quarterback versus safety position. We heard from head coach Mike McDaniel. The plan right now is to start Skylar Thompson at quarterback. And if Teddy Bridgewater clears concussion protocol, he will be the backup for the game. Tua Tungavailoa also working back through the concussion protocol. He started his throwing process uh, first time back on the practice field on Wednesday, but McDaniel said he will not play in the game on Sunday. And so we've heard that it'll be Skylar Thompson with his first career start after taking over on the second offensive play of the game on Sunday. And as we covered in the film review show, the Jets only blitzed him three times in that game. It was primarily quarters coverage, which is four deep and the best way to minimize all deep passing with plenty of three and four man rushes. And that gives you then a four or five man shell in the hook zone. So you have to really anticipate to beat coverage. That's how you do it in this league. It's why it's, you know, pick your poison against some of the top quarterbacks that can process pre-snap and get that ball out there to their hot immediately. But the Vikings are going to play a similar style. They do not blitz very often at all. The sixth lowest blitz rate in the NFL at 19.1%, which is the sixth lowest, like I just said. But their pressure rate is 24th at 19.7, so a slight bump, but they're basically getting what, you know, reaping what they sow in terms of their pressure conversion out of blitzes. So it's a new system for them. And really, it's an offshoot of those old Fangio principles with quarter, quarter, half. What that means is one deep defender covers a deep quarter. Another one defends another deep quarter, and that leaves you with a half. So you have a third deep defender that covers that portion of the field. So that's how you take away deep balls, right? And looking at the tape, they're not doing whole, a whole lot more than that. It's kind of a get to your landmark and just assess from there, like a very old school principles so a bit different from the continuity and really the communication we saw the Jets play with last week to effectively execute those spot drops and those zone looks. But the Vikings have had issues with it so far this year. Justin Fields threw for 285 yards and a touchdown on that defense last December. That's the second highest total of his career so far. He threw for 208 in the game on Sunday, which is the third highest total and was 70 yards higher 
than his average per game this season, and it was his first passer rating over 100. In fact, it was 118.7. His next best passer rating in a single game is 96.6. That was the Vikings game last year. His next best rating was 91.9. He has three career games out of 17 with a rating over 90, two of them against Minnesota, one this year, uh, one was last week. Much to my surprise, Harrison Smith, going back to the Vikings defense here, is never in the box. That's usually where he makes his money. He has a vacation home, maybe even his primary residence down there in the box through the rest of his career, spending time up around the line of scrimmage. His veteran presence on that back end is clearly important as they work through getting this new system installed and trying to get it running like a well-oiled machine. It's taking them some time, hasn't quite clicked yet as Cameron Bynum hasn't left the field as the other safety playing all 322 defensive snaps for this Vikings team. 264 of those in the post as Harrison Smith, the other primary safety, has played 233 total snaps with 158 of those outside the box. So you have safeties that don't come down and fit the run or support the run all that often. They do eventually, but not all the time. They don't bring their backers on any pass rush, but every fifth snap and they'll start in those two high looks, and they'll stay there and rotate corners and, and cover three and quarters looks and whatever it might be to get themselves with a three- or four-man shield against the top part of the field. When a team does that, you must, must, must be able to run the football. The Jets did it last week. The Dolphins found some footing there, and it kept them in the game while the offense kind of struggled to put together the rest of the game from a passing standpoint. And Skylar Thompson met with the media on Wednesday, and he's a fun interview, man. He's, he really seems to get it for a rookie. He talked about some areas he can improve in that he saw from the tape, and he mentioned that his footwork and timing and the eyes and the feet being married up together, again, the, t- the Tuesday All-22 review, right, which we talked about, getting that part portion of his game on cue, trusting his feet, trusting his eyes. And he says, you can kind of tell when your timing's not right, when you hitch up a couple too many times, what did we see on tape with too many hitches? So hopefully Skyler can get that improved and, and better for his second game here, his first start with the Miami Dolphins. I am most interested to see how the game looks from Miami's perspective, knowing that Skylar Thompson is starting the game. I can't imagine it's easy to pivot like that after your first play. It, you know, you just... You, your game plan can't possibly be executed the same way with a different player. You just can't, it's just, there's no way. And so for on play number two to kind of take out a chunk of your playbook, and you know I'm sure Teddy was comfortable with a few of these things, that Skyler prefers to do something differently, that's tough for a coach, tough for a team to deal with that. And another point that I thought was super interesting was the fact that Teddy going out early, Skyler doesn't have a second quarterback there to bounce ideas off of and ask, you know, hey, what do you see in here? What would you have done right here? And he should have that this week, opposed to just coaches around him. Like a player is always a good thing to have around you in that instance. And of course, he talked about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell as well. You can listen to that entire press conference up on the team YouTube channel. It's always important to have your weapons operating at full capacity. It sounds like Miami might have that as we transition to receivers and tight ends versus the corners. Uh, Sounds like we're trending in the right direction for Tyreek Hill, as Adam Schefter tweeted on Wednesday that... He expects to play on Sunday, and of course, Mike McDaniel confirmed that he'll be, he'll give it his best effort to go, and we expect him to go out there on Sunday. We know that Waddle, what, what him and Waddle do to hold the attention of the opposing defense, and who better than them to keep those safeties in that space, back them off, open up that space in the running game, and frankly, I think this is a great matchup at this spot for Miami, well, because I think that both these guys are top five receivers, obviously, but both for the reasons we mentioned above in terms of this defense trying to get their sea legs 
under them in a new system because any hesitation against these guys and you could pay the ultimate price, but also in terms of the styles of their primary perimeter corners, as well as their slot guy, really, versus our top two guys. Look, Patrick Peterson is going to the Hall of Fame, but he is coming up on age 33. Doesn't run the way he used to, right? Patrick Peterson's been targeted 22 times with just 11 completions allowed for a buck 44 this year. Cameron Dantzler has 31 targets, 23 completions for 268. And then Chandon Sullivan has been targeted 21 times, 18 catches, 234 yards. And like we talked about in the open, it's been a rough go for this group. PFF has the opponent completing 75% of their passes for 8.8 yards average. That's not good. They don't play a lot of press, a lot of zone out there. So if Skyler can find the matchups he likes, find the soft spot and play decisively, hopefully put the ball in the hands of those two guys and maybe they can open it up a little bit more with the run after the catch. So Peterson once clocked a 4-3. That's, that's just, not, it's just not sustainable to age 33. Cameron Dantzler was a 306 RAS guy, relative athletic scorecard with obviously five as your average. He was a 4-6-4-40 guy. Chandon Sullivan was a 4-6-40 guy and a 4-3 shuttle guy. The takeaway here is the biggest matchup we've had all season in terms of mismatch at the receiver versus defensive backs position. It's this one. Hopefully we can take advantage. Wish we had our quarterback, man. Then, of course, the rest of the guys that make up such a key part of the offense with Mike Kosicki, Durham Smythe, the running back, Cedric Wilson, Trent Sherfield, River Craycraft. The Vikings have just, they just don't mix it up all that often. So if that's the case, it allows you to really dictate your matchups, which I always have confidence that coach can formulate a plan around his young quarterback and maximize those strengths. I think that if you give coach McDaniel what he expects to get on Sunday and give him a full week to prepare for it, I like his odds against that against really any coach opposed to having to change your plan on the second snap of the game. Moving on to the offensive line versus the defensive line. This is where the Vikings defense really sets the tone up front. And in particular with Daniil Hunter, everywhere 99 goes, you better find him. He can play anywhere on the defensive line. They don't use him on the nose, but he's an absolute problem as an edge rusher, a guy who condenses inside for their NASCAR packages and just a flat out game wrecker. I mean, he can win immediately, which obviously leads to some blown up run plays or potential, you know, mesh point issues, the quick sacks, the, the force fumbles, the splash plays when the quarterback speeds up his process and makes a bad decision. Daniil Hunter can wreck a game. Don't let it happen. If you can, if you can do anything to stop it, then do that. And they will use their two edges, both he and Zadarius Smith, in two-point stances, which I think gives the offensive line an opportunity to work underneath the pad level and seal off those edges. And, of course, running the ball wide is such a big strength of this offense when they're going the right way. And if they can make that happen, it also obviously impacts your play-action boot game too. If they're not going to support the box, you have to be able to run the football. Then maybe they'll adjust and we can open it up as we go along. But Running at those two guys, I think, is a great way to keep their pass rush at bay. All of that said, Daniil Hunter isn't even their top guy in pressures. It's Darius Smith, who has 18 this year. DJ Wanham has 12 of his own, and Dalvin Tomlinson has 12 of his own. Hunter is fourth on the team with 10, and then Harrison Phillips, their big nose tackle, has six. But Hunter leads all defensive linemen with 12 run stops, so he's just a complete player. Tomlinson and Smith both have 11 apiece, and then Harrison Phillips also has a sixth spot there. They are deep and good up front in the trenches. Their edges are big, kind of akin to the Ravens, you know, like we talk about in that podcast, and not unlike us, with a 273-pound Smith, 263-pound Hunter. So they're capable of impacting your edge in the run game, which can force backs to bubble. 
And we've seen the most success in our own run game when we can get Raheem or Chase on that full speed track without having to throttle down. So finding a way to get knockback on those guys could be so key for Tehran and Greg Little or Brandon Shell, whoever it might be, if Tehran can't go off the edges, to minimize that pushback off those edge can be so key to give a clear path for Raheem Mostert to do what he did on Sunday and run wild. They can condense both Hunter and Smith inside to bring on their NASCAR package with multiple edges where DJ Wanham comes in and you kick those two edges inside and then you have four defensive ends all of a sudden. He's 260 pounds at his own right, but that just keeps them so deadly in their rush game packages. They run so many twists. So communication up front is integral in terms of Connor Williams getting things, you know, passed out across the offensive line. A strong suit for this group so far in the way that Williams has helped kind of balance the interior of the O-line, but getting those calls communicated, getting the protection slides right, picking up the games, it's a lot of size, a lot of strength and power to deal with off the edge. And it's not all that different when you go inside because Dalvin Tomlinson is a former state champ wrestler who just wins. He's from Bama to the Senior Bowl, to the Giants, to the Vikings. Like he refuses to lose that low man battle low man wins battle. So I'm pumped to watch him go against our guys because I think that between Connor and Rob Hunt, that's something that they excel with, moving the guys off the football. He goes 325 pounds where Phillips is 307. So they're deep in a good mix of styles and abilities. We'll see about Tehran's availability. He draws yet another marquee matchup if he goes out there with Daniil Hunter. Then really just, you know, about a note about Rob Hunt playing so well. We're getting a lot of yards running behind the big right guard here. So it's getting to the point now where it's not so much about matchup for me, just to note, say, like, this guy's getting the job done every single week. Hopefully it keeps rolling here. Such a key in this game to somehow, some way, get more from the other two spots on the offensive line. There have been so many plays where just one inch away off left guard, right tackle, from springing that big play down your top two quarterbacks this week. We got to have that. Got to be more consistent there. Absolutely have to have it, especially helping out with Smith off that right side is a big, big key for me. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here and come back into the running backs and linebackers and then spin this thing over to the Dolphins defense versus the Vikings offense. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on a Thursday preview show, almost said Wednesday, taping it here on a Wednesday, taking a look at Miami's week six matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. We pick it back up with the Dolphins running backs versus the Vikings linebackers and their linebackers fit the run in behind that big defensive line as well as anybody with Jordan Hicks, you know, raking up, racking up 19 run stops already and Eric Hendricks with eight of his own. Kendricks is more of the coverage guy and speed guy where Hicks tends to get downhill. It's kind of like Jerome and Landon here. I mean, they both do both, but you see the difference in the way they specialize in it. Kendricks has been making plays for a long, long time. One of my favorite linebacker prospects ever coming out of UCLA, you know, almost a decade ago now, allowing just 10 of 16 passes complete, which is so good for a linebacker. His speed is a potential offset to the speed that we have on those wide runs. So trying to give him that eye candy we talked about in the Tuesday podcast in terms of pulling guard here, you know, a wall off block here, a scoot block there, just different things to give them different things to look at could be a good way to get some false steps created there in the running game. And like I said before, there's just not a huge rotation or a lot of mixing it up on this defense. Those guys have played 317 and 281 snaps. Their next most used linebacker is Brian Osamoa. He has six snaps. 
quite a departure there. I mean, Zadarius Smith will play that two-point stance that kind of gives you the show of a linebacker, but he's only played coverage on 13 snaps this year. So he's coming after you as the edge rusher there for the Vikings. Four-man rush most of the time, seven-man in coverage. Skyler's got to be sharp in the way he sees it and moves guys with his eyes. And this game, you know, screams to me, help off the edges, fan that line out, get the help off the right side, get the help off the Neil Hunter as well, and try to see if you can get your perimeter guys to win quickly and uncover fast so Skyler can make quick decisions and get the football out of his hand. As for our own guys, man, I hope we see Raheem open it up again. He is so close to popping a long one. Those 10 to 20 yard runs are just one block missed or one missed tackle away from going the distance, giving his speed. I think this is the week that he gets one. As I mentioned, this isn't the fleetest of foot secondary in the NFL. That's kind of my key here, and I guess my prediction. Mostert gets loose for a 50-plus yard touchdown run on Sunday. Let's go ahead and move to the other side of the football, Dolphins defense, Vikings offense. We go back to the quarterback position versus the safety position. And there's a very interesting dichotomy here. Last year, Kirk Cousins was 62%, averaged 8 yards per pass, and threw 12 touchdowns without turning the ball over against the Blitz, or I should say without throwing a pick. That's a 112 passer rating. This year, though, in this new system, he's just 21 of 44. It's under 50%. 4.2 yards per pass, two touchdowns and two picks, and a rating of 55.6, less than half the production from a season ago. The Dolphins' blitz numbers are down a little bit this year, 27%, which is actually 13 most. That number did not change last week, even without X. In fact, they blitzed Zach Wilson 50% of his dropbacks because, well, he struggles against the blitz as well. Now, where you see a major difference is, the, again, we talked about it, not having those two cornerbacks outside with Xavier Howard we're just missing the one game and no Byron Jones for the first five games. It changes the way you play. It's a big part of this defense, and it's changed Javon Holland's pre-snap deployment. Well, maybe not major, but he did rush the passer 10 times through the first four weeks. That's, again, the departure of not having X and Byron out there because last year he rushed, you know, four or five times a game. But last week, without either of those guys, zero pass rush reps and his box snap count reduced by more than 50% as well. So Javon Holland, Brandon Jones are such big keys each week in the way you use them, but they're limited in the way they can, you know, bounce around the formation without having a full complement out there. Just they do so much to disguise, to support the run, to occasionally blitz. And Cousins is such a polished vet who has seen everything the league can throw at him. It's going to be a fun chess match to watch out there. One that I think Miami has a chance to kind of get right against because of the style of quarterback that he is. Because I like the way this defense has defended this style of offense going back, you know, a few years. And there's been changes, obviously, but there's a lot of the same carryover here in the system and the guys we have. You know, again, getting Byron Jones back would be nice. But I hearken back to that 2020 matchup with the Rams when we just relentlessly blitzed the weak side edge and didn't give Jared Goff more than a step after turning his back to the defense. You wheel back around the bootleg. There's a guy in your face. It led to mistakes. It led to turnovers. It led to sacks. And just an absolutely dominant day from the Dolphins defense. We need that this week because, again, we're on QB3. We need that defense to show up this week. As for the offense in general... Again, you you know this system. Outside zone, mixed with some duo inside, which is double teams. You get two double teams and you climb into the second level and tons and tons and tons of play action bootlegs and the grouping they use to get to those looks, they're an 80% 11 personnel team. That's one back, one tight end, typically Dalvin Cook, typically Irv Smith Jr. with three wideouts, typically Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and KJ Osborne. They go 12%, 7% of the time, 12 personnel, I should say, 7% of the time, that's one back, two tight ends. And they go 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, 
10% of the time. So you'll get a fullback coming downhill at you. More on that in just a moment. The receiver slash tight end versus cornerbacks. It starts and ends with Justin Jefferson. If you don't give him a lot of attention, he will go off. He had 10 catches last week at halftime against the Bears. Teams that have gone one-on-one against him have paid for it. How many teams, though, have Xavier Howard? Just one. We'll see how the Dolphins choose to match it up, but they have some choices here. Detroit and Philly were the two teams that made a point to take away Justin Jefferson. Three for 14 against Detroit. Six for 48 against Philly in those two games. But then what did... Adam Thielen and Osborne and Irv Smith Jr. do in those games? Well, in the Lions game, Osborne had 5 for 73 in a touchdown. Adam Thielen had 6 for 61 in a touchdown, and Irv Smith had 2 for 32. That's 100 and... It's a lot of yards. It's almost 200 yards. The Eagles had Thielen 4 for 52, Smith for uh, 5 for 36, and Osborne 2 for 25. And the Eagles were so loaded in the secondary, so that kind of production with Jefferson 6 for 48... That's how you beat this team 24-7 like Philadelphia did. Can Miami replicate something similar? Can Cater Kohu play at the level that a James Bradbury plays at? Can Nick Needham play at the level we get accustomed to over the last several years with him playing here? It's another instance where I just wish we had things that we didn't, but teams with multiple lockdown corners I think could really give this offense fits. It'll be a challenge for Josh Boyer to craft a plan that gives them the opportunity to do that, to take away Justin Jefferson and give them issues with potentially... I think what could be asked of Cater Kohu this week, he's playing really well, I think, this season. I think has the makeup to draw and and really win against Adam Thielen because Thielen's so sharp in his routes and the way Kohu's shown that he can change directions might be the ability to give you the defensive production we're looking for in that matchup and force them to Osborne, to Irv Smith, into the running game. That'll be a nice key if you can get that done this week. Personally... I would love to get back to the press looks on the outside and just keep coming at Cousins and live and die by that sword, but we'll see. We'll see what they want to do on defense this week. The matchups with Needham and Kohu, you know, if it's if it's Thielen and Osborne, those are good ones. The way those Vikings receivers play, I think, are areas where the Dolphins' corners can kind of shine in terms of, you know, sharp, quick, nifty route runners, quick change of directions, get eyes back to the quarterback and the football, and hopefully we make some plays in the ball this week. I want to get some picks, man. We have one pick, and it was five weeks ago. On the offensive line versus defensive line, we mentioned the investment into the O-line they made, and it's been beneficial for the Vikings. Christian Derrissaw has been every bit the first-round player they were hoping he would be, and they drafted him last year out of Virginia Tech. Their scheme operates around his ability to lock down one side of the formation and slide help to the rest, much like Teron Armstead for the Dolphins, and of course he goes out and pass protection you know, takes a dip, just like the same thing without having your QB1 that gets rid of the ball so quickly. It all has an impact. Garrett Bradbury inside is their version of Connor Williams in the sense that he is super smart and helps them with the many rush games the opponent can throw at them. Their pressures allowed numbers go like this for five guys that have not missed a single snap this year across their offensive line. Uh, Derisaw, seven pressures. Ed Ingram, 17 pressures. Garrett Bradbury, eight. Ezra Cleveland, 11. Brian O'Neill, eight. So Cleveland is a converted tackle and Ingram is a rookie day one starter with veteran Bradbury between them. There's your key, right? If you want to control this game, that's where you have to win those interior three with the likes of Wilkins and Sealer and Raekwon. I expect Christian to have another monster game like he's been doing all year long. Get Dalvin Cook to bubble early, force him to make extra steps in the backfield to allow your linebackers and safeties more time to come downhill and impact Cousins, who is not as fleet of foot as the quarterbacks we've been playing here recently, uh, going back to game one. Shut down Mac Jones, other quarterbacks not so much, but 
we get back to these more stationary quarterbacks. I'm hoping the production follows along with that. I think this sets up to be Miami's best performance since that week one game if they win the matchups they're supposed to, and it starts here on the inside. So Miami is versatile and multiple. I'm curious curious to see what the plan is in terms of where and how the Vikings react. I'm hopeful the defense can get back to those splash plays we've become so accustomed to here in Miami. Immediate pressure that forces the quarterback to interrupt that original hitch and you know drive up in the pocket, make a, th- a throw faster than he wants to, create negatives in the running game, and get the offense behind the chains because we've been so close, but we just keep missing. We have to eventually execute at some point. I think last week was a good return to that, especially the 17-yard sack on Brandon Jones. But again, just one pick in five games. That has to change at some point. Why not Sunday? Brian O'Neill is their most experienced player, and he plays off the side. We typically see Emmanuel Ogba play, though that often does change. It's a good matchup there, but looking at O'Neill, who's been good for them, don't get me wrong, but his issues early in his career, and he's improved upon them, but we have the body types to go after that potential weakness is what I'm trying to get at here. He's barely 300 pounds, and though he's got 34-inch arms, it doesn't necessarily translate to the way that he plays. We have to shock him with our length and shorten that corner in both the running game and the passing game and potentially overload it too because they're going to slide to leave Derisaw alone. And with that matchup, I think I'd go Melvin Ingram because he has the pass rush arsenal and the knowledge to give a a second-year player like Derisaw some potential confidence damage and maybe even just beat him outright a few times so got to find a way to get that stop let's take our last break here and come back on the other side and do the rest of this position group we'll tell you the special teams what's at stake and the three keys to this game and we'll make our week six picks that's all next on the drive time podcast your host travis wingfield brought to you by auto nation We have one more position group here for the Vikings offense versus Dolphins defense. It is running backs versus linebackers. Dalvin Cook might be the best back in the game. He slips tackles. He has home run speed to make you pay. We learned that back in 2018. He can change the angle on a tackler in a heartbeat. So this Dolphins team that's not tackling very well right now has another big challenge in front of them. And he also has exceptional vision to get where he needs to go on time every time. I just can't speak highly enough of his game. He is phenomenal. He's averaging 2.89 yards after initial contact this season at 3.0 in his career. He's forced 18 missed tackles. He's a big play runner, man. They used to get him, they use him to get drive started, to get chunk plays, really any way imaginable. He keeps the whole playbook open for all three downs. He had four 10 plus yard runs last week, two the week before, and three the week before. Like, that is nine explosive plays in three weeks. Philly was the only one to keep him without a 10 yard rush, but that had more to do with the scoreboard getting down early in that game. I'm excited to watch a Landon Roberts versus CJ Ham. Those two certainly meet in the gap a few times on Sunday. And Roberts has been so good at defeating blocks with force this season. Just don't get caught going downhill. Big fella on play action looks they sneak the back out behind you. Cause that's, that's kind of how you exploit that aggressiveness. But don't confuse Ham for just a blocker because they'll slip him out in the pattern as well. Just three catches this year, but he has 63 in his career and averages 8.7 per catch. So if you flow too fast, they'll take advantage of that. Just be aware of that. We've seen Jerome Baker run with backs and tight ends all year, really his entire career. And this is one that's kind of a challenge for him in this game. I mean, Dalvin Cook has 11 grabs on 15 targets for 74 yards. They haven't really got the screen game going, but perhaps that could be their blitz beater if Miami goes in that direction. And also don't forget about Alexander Madison. He is a heck of a player and can punish you when Dalvin Cook gets a blow. So there you go. There's the defense versus the offense with the Vikings. Special teams, Miami rakes 30th right now in DVOA. That has to get better, like now. 
The Vikings rank 24th. Hopefully, it's a good chance for Miami to get back to their special teams, winning the fine margins ways. Ryan Wright averages 45.6 per punt, although he has he has 17 punts in five games, so a little more than three punts per game. That would be a nice number for the Dolphins to get three punts and a couple takeaways. Thomas Morstead averages 44.9 with 17 punts of his own, so we punt a little bit too much as well. More so the last couple of weeks. Greg Joseph, hey, we remember him, right? 8 of 12 this season on his field goals, and all four of those misses from 50-plus. So potentially in that you know 35 to 45-yard line range, maybe they go for it on fourth downs a lot, do the Vikings. And if they don't, perhaps we can get some short fields off some missed kicks potentially. Jason Sanders also has two misses. Both of those are from 50-plus as well. He's 6 for 8 this year. What's at stake? Staying over 500, not going 3-3 three and three after a 3-0 and oh start for the third time since we've done this now, 2013, 2018, 2022. I understand the circumstances are tougher this time with the quarterback situation and injuries, but, you know, keeping that eight-game home winning streak alive. Look, this team has been banged up. Hopefully, it's starting to trend in the right direction. Getting to 4-2 and two would be really, really nice heading into that primetime game against a struggling Steelers team and then two NFC North teams who are playing really rough right now to follow up after that. Win this game, get number one back, and we're right back on track. That's what's at stake. I'm hopeful. I'll give you the pick here in a second. My three keys are to create turnovers and splash plays. We got to get sacks. We got to get TFLs. We got to get fumbles. We got to get picks. We got to start making something happen on defense because the bend but don't break system only works when you create the splash plays. Number two, and this Vikings team with the way that they've played and the way we attack this type of offense, you can make it happen. Number two, take what the defense gives you. They don't want to come with pressure. They don't want to attack the run. If they give you run looks, check to it. If they give you quick hitters, check to it. Get the ball out of your hands. No negative plays on offense. Number three, win in the margins. Be better on special teams. Don't get flagged 11 times for penalties and find ways to win in those small margins, which made this team successful the last couple of years. Do it here, and you might have a chance to pull off a victory against a road favorite. My week six picks, bad week five. 10 and six last week brings us to 52 and 27. Yuck on the season. Oh boy, the Thursday game. Give me Washington over Chicago. I'm taking the Vikings over the Dolphins. I hate it, but I have to do it. The Niners over the Falcons. Would love to see the Falcons get that one. Cleveland over New England. I just don't trust the Bailey Zappi magic to last for a second straight week. Give me the Green Bay over the Jets. Big to come back and bounce back after they won their Super Bowl and after the Packers got you know kind of embarrassed there late by the Giants. The Colts over the Jaguars. I keep picking them to beat them. I don't know why I do it, but I'm going to do it here again anyways. The Colts over Jags. Give me the Bengals over the Saints. The Baltimore Ravens to absolutely clobber the Giants. Give me the Bucks over the Steelers. The Rams over the Matt Ruleless Panthers. Arizona over Seattle. Uh, I think I'll take Buffalo over KC, although if you get a Dolphins win, a Chiefs win, and a Packers win this week, we're back in first place. So fingers crossed. I'm hoping. We'll see. Obviously, my picks don't go that way. Uh, Philly over Dallas on Sunday night, and I'll take Denver over the Chargers on Monday night football. All right, that's my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. Check out our Twitter Spaces show on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. The post-game show on WQAM 560. Right when the game ends, we are on the air. So check us out there. You can also find the international podcast here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. The YouTube channel for media availabilities for Dolphins today. Some Fish Tank and Drive Time content as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home.